places in our world right now where people are dropping out of the church faster than they ever have before. They grow up for years and years learning about God, studying the Word of God, knowing the Scriptures, but they don't know Him. They've never encountered His presence, although they've encountered His rules and regulations. And rules without relationship will always lead to religion. And rules without relationship will always lead to our rebellion. Nobody will follow the rules without a relationship and not rebel against those rules. Because ultimately at the core of who we are is we want to know we are loved. We want to know that we have value. And so if we learn the rules but never have a relationship, we never have an encounter, then the rules will eventually be something we look on as a negative, as a repression, as tyranny. Our God is not a tyrant. He's a God of mercy, of love, of grace. And so learning about his word for his entire, your entire life and never encountering his presence will always lead for your departure from the faith. So I'm glad that the Lord gives me something to teach you. But I'm grateful from the bottom of my heart that he has equipped me to help you to encounter his presence, not just learn about him. He is not an archaeological study. He's not a past civilization unknown. He's alive forevermore. And I'm so grateful to be in a church where we encounter his presence. So Father, let us encounter your presence. Let us learn more about you while we sit with you. Let us encounter who you are in a real and personal and tangible way so that we can grow up. I don't know how you learn. I don't know how you function. But I can tell you this, one of the ways that I learn is not necessarily by reading about it. I have to experience it. I, I want to I watch someone do it so I can learn. So I watch them do it and then I'm like, okay. And then, then I want them to watch me do it and make sure I do it okay. And give me some pointers if I'm not doing it quite right. So I want to watch them do it. Then I want to do it. And I want them to watch me do it. And the only way that type of learning happens is in relationship. I have to have somebody there to watch. Right? I could watch a YouTube video to learn how to fix something. But there's no expert there watching me when I try it and telling me where I'm getting it wrong. So it takes a relationship for me to learn. And that's how I treat my relationship with God is I don't want to just learn about Him. I want to do it with Him. I want to watch Him do it. And then I want Him to say, now you do it, son. Now you move into it. And as we move into it, and as we begin to learn his word, there's maturity that happens. There's maturity that happens. So this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the maturity process. I want to talk to you about how we can mature in Christ. I want to talk to you about how we can go from milk to meat. Amen. Some of you are like, but Pastor Ren, I really like my glass of milk. That's fine. You're allowed to like your glass of milk. But in our faith, there's a moment where we transition 
from baby food to big boy food. Amen? Big girl, big girl food. I'm not excluding you guys as well. You're, you're allowed to have big girl food. Amen? I don't know if there's a difference. <clears throat> Amen. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes about maturing in the faith. I believe in this season that in order to bring people back into the church, in order to, to uh, uh, see this great revival that God is bringing on the earth, to see the outpouring of God, it takes more than just one mature person preaching from the pulpit. We've had a long season in American church culture where we've had a lot of babies being led by one adult. And our church has looked like that for a long time. In fact, I would say this. Uh, I'm not naming any names, but there are a lot of churches in our country that only have kids' church. There is no actual adult church. We spend a lot of time dealing with babies and never getting them to the meat. And so, hey, there is a place for that, man. I thank the Lord that we have churches that are baby-driven, that go out there and get the young, that get the immature, that get the ones that don't know anything about God and bring them to a place of faith. I'm so grateful that we have places that go out and get the harvest. We want to be one of those too. But I am so thankful that there are also churches that can take those that are on the meat and teach them how to eat. It's so important that we have both and we can't be skewed to one or the other. We can't. We have to appreciate those that are bringing in the babies and, and helping teach them the basics of faith. And we have to appreciate those that are teaching how to rise up. We are called and equipped our church. We want to reach the babies. I try to. I try to explain everything as simple as I can. And when I explain something complicated, I'm always trying to teach you the simple side of it so that even the babies can receive that. Even the new ones that don't know the word like others do can still receive from it but I want to give you something of substance as well. And so it's very important in our faith that while we start as babies, okay, all of us started as babies. It took me three weeks to get saved. You know that? When I went to church for the first time, I heard the word of God, and it was like a bomb exploded in my chest. I remember sitting there in that auditorium, and the man was preaching, and my mom had to trick me to come to church. Well, kind of. She, she had to bribe me. Okay, I was new to Oklahoma. I'm a Jew. I don't go to church. We go to synagogue. We're not, we don't do Jesus. That's not, that's not, that's no, no, no. Okay, no, no Jesus. But she told me, she goes, you know, you're new in Oklahoma. You don't have any friends and there's cute girls at church. I was like, well, I could go to church. So she wasn't lying to me. There was cute girls there. But, but I went, and I went because I wanted to meet some people. And she said there was cute girls. So that, I'm a 16-year-old teenager, right? So I get there, and the man of God begins to preach. And as he preaches, something comes alive in me. I realize as I'm sitting there, I'm finally healing the truth for the first time in my whole life. This is what's true. Everything inside of my heart, inside of my spirit, understood that what I was listening to was the truth and that everything else I'd ever heard had no value in it anymore. And my mother looked over at me and she said, hey, I'm starting to feel a little sick. Do you want to go ahead and go? 16 years old, first time in church. And I said, no, I want to hear what this man has to say. And so he stood there and he said something to me that changed my life in that moment. He said this, I think he was talking directly to me. I think I was set up to be honest with you. I think my mom said, my unsafe son is come and get him, okay? It, that does happen in church, okay? 
That does happen. All right, so I was set up. But he said this to me, and it resonated with my spirit. He said this to me. If God is not your father, then Satan is. And you need to pick who you want your daddy to be. And it hit me so hard in my heart. I didn't know that much about God. And what I thought about God was he was a mean God with a magnifying glass. But I knew Satan was much worse. See, I didn't been exposed to the dark side of things growing up. I grew up in Wiccan. I grew up messing around with Ouija boards and other dark things. I have nightmare stories to tell you. I won't tell you. So I knew that there was evil. I was sure of one thing. There is demonic activity in the world. There is evil. There is a Satan. There is such evil in the world that somebody wants to kill you just for the pure pleasure of it. And see, a lot of people will use that as an excuse not to believe in God. They'll use that as an excuse to stay immature and ignorant to the truth about God. But the reality is this. Because there is evil, there must be a God. There must be a counterpart to it. Because there is light, there must be darkness. Because there is darkness, there must be light. Because there is cold, there must be heat. Because there is heat, there must be cold. Do you understand that everything in our world has a counterpart? And so I had stared into the face of evil and I knew there must be a God. And this man says I need to pick a dad and I don't want the evil one to be it. And so I knew at that moment that I needed to surrender to God. But the maturing process was hard. I was scared of that process. In fact, that very morning, I had made a decision that I wanted to serve Jesus, that I wanted to live for him. But it took me three weeks to actually make the confession because at that church, you had to walk to the front in front of everyone. And remember, there was cute girls. I didn't want them to think I was a heathen. So I was terrified that they would judge me. And so it took me three weeks to come up to the front. And I'm so grateful that we have churches that go after those. I'm so grateful for those. But we have to have both. We have to have going after the lost and we have to have maturing the body of Christ. We have to grow in our faith to an exponential portion because we need more shepherds in the world. We need more evangelists in the world. We need more people that will come alive, find their calling and be equipped to walk in it than we ever have before. We talk about a billion soul harvest, but you know what a billion soul harvest needs? A million workers. You don't bring in a billion souls. I know, pass the rent. You're just going to get a TV deal, and they're going to broadcast you in every nation to billions of people, and you'll just do it yourself with one message. That is not how it works. If it's to be, it's up to me. That there is a specific role that God has called you to. There is a specific place that God has called you to. There are specific giftings that God has given you that you need to fulfill in order to see the movement that's in the body fulfilled. Do you know what corporate words are? Corporate words are words for the whole body, for all of the church. We're walking into 2022 and see everyone looks to the prophets like me and, and several of the others to say something about what's going to happen in the coming year. What, what does 22 look like, Pastor Brad? Prophesy into it. You know, we're checking to see what Chris Reed says and Manuel Johnson and all the, all the prophetic voices we might watch or listen to, right? And check it, whoever your favorite one is, right? And, and listen to it and say, what do they say that is coming this year? And we want to listen to those words. But what those words are is an overall theme and mandate 
a covering over the church that encompasses your calling, your peace, your peace, your peace. And when all of us do our peace, we get a whole picture of a puzzle. But it's not really a Ooh, man, the most frustrating thing in the world. Tell me this is wrong. I don't like to do puzzles. That's not my thing, but Rachel likes to do puzzles, okay? Uh, we, we either have dinner at the table or there's a puzzle. That's kind of how it works in our house. Uh, and, and they like to do puzzles. And it's fine. It's fine. I'm not a huge puzzle person, but I'll sit down and do, do some a little bit. But I can't sit there for hours. Uh, and some of you might be puzzle people. That's awesome. It's okay. Uh, but she'll do all these puzzles. And, and the one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers Okay, I refuse to buy a puzzle from a garage sale ever. It is just not on the table. Okay, because you know what happens. Y'all know what happens. You, you, you have faith, you have hope, and then it's dashed. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you look, you're, you've been working on it for 16 straight hours. You get done, and there is two pieces missing. And you stare at the picture, realizing it is not complete. Am I, am I, I'm upset here. I need a second, guys. I just got myself worked up. I'm going to need to go through some counseling. Like, I'm like, I'm infuriated suddenly. Right? You get done, and you're like, man, I paid 50 cents. that. I knew that lady was scamming me. I knew she was scamming me. That's why she was smiling when she gave it away. Someone else's turn to experience what I did. <laughs> But you get done. You know they bought it from some other garage sale for 50 cents too. And they're just passing it on to the next sucker. Okay? So you, you, you get it done. And you have this beautiful picture. And you're so excited to complete it. And you're two pieces short. That puzzle, the entire picture, is the word for the body of Christ. It is what God is doing in the season. It paints an entire picture. But each piece is you. And the picture is not complete until you take your place as a piece in it. And the problem is, is that we can't ever, sometimes we're like, well, how come the word hasn't come to pass? Because the pieces are still missing. Because somebody has not taken their position in what God is doing and it's missing. And some of you think you have no value or no place, but I'm here to tell you that God says you're the missing piece. Stop waiting to be positioned and start moving to where you're called to be. Stop thinking you need to be a little older, a little smarter, a little wiser. Until God can use you. He wants to use you right now. Teenagers, you're on assignment. You're not waiting for assignment. School might, you might be in school, so you think everything in life is about training. But in the kingdom of God, you're grown up. You are. And you can be on assignment now. And not just for your school. Okay, we got four-year-olds leading people to Jesus when they drive by. Austin will make Amy pull over and say, roll down the window, pull over. As, as they're driving by somebody walking and he'll yell out, Jesus loves you. Made grown men cry. Okay, if a four-year-old can understand his assignment and walk in it, so can you. But there has to be a maturing process, amen? There has to be where you're coming to the understanding and knowledge of who God is. Like I said, I came to Jesus because I knew evil was real. I had the knowledge of good and evil. I did not have a maturity in good. I had a knowledge of evil at an unhealthy level. I knew what Satan looked like. I knew what real evil looked like. Not wickedness, not sin, not perversion, okay? That's all sin. I'm talking about real evil. 
And see, a lot of times we teach this in perspective, and I've taught this before, but I need to reemphasize it for some of you that don't know so that I can make my case today and make my point about what I'm trying to take us deeper into, is that I believe very strongly there's this moment in the garden and we process the character of God through this. There's this moment in the garden where God places Adam and Eve in the garden. And he tells them, you can have every tree except for this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From that one, you may not touch. And we look at this and we're like, man, this God takes these baby people that have just been formed. and You know, hey, doesn't have any experience in the world. And he sets them in this beautiful place and he points to the very center. There's a tree and they're not allowed to touch it and it looks good. The word of God says that when Eve looked on it, it said it was good. She saw that its fruit was good and it was pleasing. And so she wanted to eat of it. And someone would say, well, that's really mean of God to place it, at least put it on the top of a hill where you had to make a, you had to make a decision to climb. You know, you get halfway up and you go, man, we're not even supposed to eat this. I'm tired. I'm going back. <laughs> At least you got a fighting chance to think through it as you're climbing, right? No, he sits it right in the middle of the garden, gives them access to it. Why would God tempt them beyond what they could handle? Doesn't the word of God tell us that God will not tempt us beyond what we are able to handle, but he will always provide a way of escape? So why would God place this thing we're not allowed to touch right there so easily accessible? unless there was an other meaning for it that we didn't quite understand. And in order to understand that, we got to look, and I'll make this quick because I've taught this before not that long ago. 1 Kings 3, 3 through 10 is where you find the story about Solomon. Solomon honored God in everything that he did. And it says in verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God asked, uh, said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David and my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne. And it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. Say little child. And I do not know how to go out or come in. Solomon understood his need for maturity in this moment. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered and counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. I want to stop there. I want you to understand this. The very thing, the knowledge of good and evil that caused mankind to fall is the very thing that Solomon is asking for. Solomon is asking for the knowledge to discern between good and evil. And yet this was the same thing that caused man to fall. So we make this declaration that God did not want us to know of good and evil. Well, then why does it say here that when Solomon asked, he's not rebuked by the Lord? Instead of being rebuked, it says it pleased the Lord. 
There is a moment of maturity where things become accessible to you that were not yet available. You would not hand a five-year-old a gun necessarily, would you? I don't know, it's Oklahoma, maybe. But a three-year-old, probably not. Probably not, right? Someone's just telling me a story about some little kids that were playing with axes. They were throwing axes at each other. And one of the axes stuck in one of the kids' head, little twin. He lived, he's fine, just had a gnarly scar, okay? You sh probably shouldn't have little babies playing with axes, amen? Probably not a good choice. Does that mean that axes are evil? No, they work really great to cut down a tree when you have the maturity and knowledge to use them correctly. So here is a moment where God placed a tree in the garden and the point was not to keep it from man or to test man. It was to make it available to them at the time of their maturity where they can handle it. We need to rise up and be people that know how to handle it. And here's the problem is that we don't necessarily know how to handle the things of this world. We are immature to the things of this world many times. And maturity in your knowledge is a key. Maturity in your knowledge is a key. It's necessary for us to mature in understanding good things. Because what happens is evil will always be present. Amen? It's here. Evil will always be seeking you. But if you are immature, you will handle it differently based on your maturity. The knowledge of evil without the maturity to handle it will always lead to a reaction of fear and insecurity. A trained soldier is not as afraid of evil as a young child. A trained warrior might even see evil and say, it's go time. I've met a lot of skilled fighters and skilled uh, 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 soldiers that when evil confronts itself, it's like party time for them. In fact, many soldiers, when they come home from war, one of the hardest parts of, of, of getting back into society is recognizing there's nothing to fight and trying to adjust to being trained to fight evil and not having any in front of you and processing your identity of your value through that, of going back to normal things like paying bills and buying groceries when you're used to looking at your left and right and taking out evil. Okay, so there are trained people, but I can tell you this, is that the more trained you are, the more mature you are to handle evil, the less likely you are to be insecure or in fear. And so immaturity will always lead to your insecurity. Because what happens is, is that when the enemy comes after you, it will always make you insecure. Let me give you a simple example. If you are immature in your faith, if you are immature in yourself, if you are not uh, grounded in who God has made you to be, if you do not have a mature understanding of your identity in Christ, then when someone comes against you, you will always feel insecure. They don't like me. I can tell you this as a pastor, no insecure, no, no immature pastor can survive the ministry. I'm just going to tell you this. Okay? It is a job where you get very little thanks, but you get a lot of criticism. Okay? 
It is a job where people want you to go to lunch with them, hang out with them, pray with them, show up at their funerals, show up at the hospital, pray every time they got a sick auntie or uncle, they're calling you, they're messaging you. But then the second they no longer have use for you, they bounce and never speak to you again. That's the truth. You are a commodity and a product to most people. And I recognize that. Why? Because I'm mature. But if I was immature, those things would hurt my feelings. And I have feelings. Don't get me wrong. They hurt my feelings, just not as long as other people. Okay? I recognize what's happening. But if that was the case, I would be walking around all the time insecure that people don't like me. Oh, well, if I don't say the right thing, they won't come back. There's an insecurity that builds up or a fear of people when you don't know how to properly process the good in life. The knowledge of good is the knowledge of your identity in Christ. Understanding who he is and who I am and how my puzzle piece fits in the bigger picture. And when you're secure in that, you can't be insecure in the enemy. And I can't fear the enemy. My maturity will lead directly to my level of fear in life. When you know that they hate you, you will fear them or be hurt by them. Maturity is the ability to be persecuted and still rejoice. To be persecuted and then turn the other cheek. To be persecuted and still love. What do you do, Pastor Ren, with those people in your life that want to use you as a resource and don't really love you? I love them. There's always going to be people in your life. Teenagers, listen to me. There's someone at school that is just using you for whatever they can get out of you, okay, whether it's popularity or math homework, whichever one you fall in, okay, okay, they're being cool with you because you got a 98 on the last test, so they want to sit next to you suddenly, and so they can look at your paper, okay, adults, there's always somebody, you're at your job, someone's trying to get nice to you so that you'll vote for them to be manager next, okay, there are people with all kinds of ulterior motives and reasons, and they are not always good, pure, righteous intentions, but here's the truth, is that the word of God says that if we are mature, we are to love them anyways, that we don't pour out on them what they pour on us, we pour out the love of Christ, see, we are not called to be people that reap on them what they have sowed, that's not our job, our job is to love them anyways, the word of God says to pray for your enemies. Woof. Woof. I could leave that right there. Some of you are like, pray for your enemies. I'm praying that God smite my enemies, O smiter of things. Almighty smiter of smiters. What thou, David asked for the smiting of things, so I shall ask the smiting of things. Because David had a heart like you, so I will align my heart to you. Smite them, O Lord. Somebody only read half the psalm till David came around and said, ah, but you are God and you are love and your mercy endures forever. David would start out wanting the smiting, okay? He was very smitey. <laughs> but he came around. If he was a superhero, they'd say he had smitey sense. That was just cheesy enough. All right, so... But he would come around and realize that God is a God of mercy and grace and love. He would have maturity. And the Bible tells us to pray for our enemies. In fact, the word of God says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him drink. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water. For doing so reaps hot coals upon his head. Love is a better weapon than hate. It's the good, not the evil. 
we need to understand that we can be persecuted in love. So what do I do with someone that I know is taking advantage of me? I love them anyways. What do I do with someone that I know is going to bounce out of here first chance they get? I love them the best I can while I have them here. And I pray that seeds are deposited in the short time I get to love them. Ooh, I know them. They, they're not going to stick. That's trouble. They ain't going to stay. You know, you know. Great. Let them see what authentic love looks like that maybe one day, one day, that seed that's planted grows into fruit. One day. You don't know when someone has a turnaround moment. You might never see it. But your love may plant a seed that you never get to see. The Bible says that one man plants and another man waters and another man, and, and, and to Jesus gives the increase, right? The harvest belongs to him. But we plant and water. But here's the, the truth about the sin of Adam and Eve. What we think about as the sin of Adam and Eve is the disobedience. Yes, there was disobedience. Absolutely, they disobeyed the command of God. So disobedience was a sin. But there was another sin that happened. Because I don't believe the tree was ever going to be withheld from them forever. Because here we have generations later, Solomon is given the very gift that was withheld in the garden. Why? Because Solomon has matured. And he says, I'm nothing but a child, God. But if you want me to lead these people, I need some maturity. That's what he's asking for. His heart was this. God, give me maturity. And God was pleased that what he wanted was to mature. I don't want to be a child. I want to mature in my faith. I want to mature as a king. I want to lead these people righteously. With justice and mercy. I want to make the right decision. And God honored that. He saw that Solomon was ready for that which was withheld from man. But the sin wasn't just a disobedience. It was a timing problem. That which was always available to man was taken out of timing. And timing, walking into something that God has called you to before God has called you to it, is just as much a sin as disobedience. When God calls you to a place, you have to ask him when, not right now. See, the children of Israel were called to go into, into the promised land. And God came to, to Moses and said, I can send you now. And you can have the land I promised you, but you go without my presence. And Moses could have said, fine, we're going now. He could have walked out of the timing of God. See, there is a covering that God has given you to place over your life to keep you in his will and to keep you in his protection. And walking out of his timing means walking out of his covering. And so we have to stay under his covering. And so Moses responded, God, why would we go without you? Without you, what would separate us from the rest of the nations? We are a peculiar people because of you. So he understood that the real treasure was God, not the land. The real promise was his presence, not the place. And so walking, the sin wasn't just a disobedience. It was a timing issue. Taking something God has for you before it's season will always lead to bitter fruit. What was being prepared to bless you will just stress you when you haven't been prepared to carry the weight of it. Some of you need to understand that. God has prepared something to bless you, and you take it early. All it does is end up putting undue stress on you. Some of you are like, the Lord has called me to be an entrepreneur, and I'm going to have a big business and make millions of dollars. Amen. Come on, do it. Let's go. Now, how many of you guys, you say, I feel like the Lord has called me to be an entrepreneur, and I believe he's going to bless my business. Right? Did any of you go out and buy a mansion today? What would a mansion do to you right now before you have seen the blessing of the business? 
It bankrupts you. It definitely stress you out. How am I going to pay this $15,000 mortgage? I don't know what I'm going to do about money next week. God called you to that mansion, but you took it a little early. And now all it's doing is putting stress on you instead of bless. It's not a blessing when you walk in it before your timing. It's a stressor. You understand that? Well, Lord's going to grow this church. FFC is going to grow. Everyone keeps saying it's going to grow. But we didn't go get a building to seat 5,000, did we? Why? Well, you didn't have enough faith, Pastor Ed. No, I understand maturing. And moving where God has called you in the timing he's called you to it. I hope that makes sense. You have to wait on the Lord's timing. Maturity is knowing that God has something for you and being willing to wait until it's its right time. And saying, God, when you say go, I'll go. I'll wait here. I'll see it. Oh, man, I hate that. I, guys, I have no patience. I have so, God does not reveal to me the plans from five years from now. I got a prophetic word a couple of years ago, and she was like, I see the Lord elevating your ministry, but it's going to take two years. And I'm like, you take that back right now. You got the two right, but it's really two weeks, two months maybe. Two years, I don't receive it. Na, 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 na. But she was exactly right, but I was so frustrated. I don't want to wait two years for that word. Why'd you even tell it to me? Now for two years, it's not going to happen this year. I was so frustrated. But I didn't try to make the word come to pass then. I waited its two years. Even though I didn't like the waiting, I understood that God had a reason and that it was coming in its season that I needed to mature through some things to be able to handle what God was about to release on me. Too many people are getting too, listen to me young people, you need to understand that, all right? Every young person, 15 years old, 16 years old, 22, thinks they're an influencer. They all want to be an influencer. What the heck do you know about influencing anybody? Get some wisdom so that you know what you're influencing. You want to influence fashion, go for it, that's perfectly fine. But don't sit there and give someone some marital advice when you've never walked through marriage for a season. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying we live in a world where, where at the beginning ages, we want fame, and so we think the fame it comes with influence. Because we're popular, we know what we're talking about. And the re- reality is God wants us to mature. Some of you older people, I'm telling you right now, you're worse than them. Okay? You got a job and you got stuck. You've never grown one day in your life. You, you, you got stuck a long time ago. In fact, all you've done is decelerate, not accelerate. All you've done is fall behind. You don't even know how to use your device no more. Okay, because we, you did not keep up. You did not mature with what was happening. And so there has to be a maturing process in the body of Christ. You have to mature into what God is doing right now. Just using that as example. Some of you are like, oh, so what? I don't know how to use my phone. I don't need that phone. That's fine. Don't get mad at me. I'm just saying that in the body of Christ, that's not acceptable excuse. If God is doing a new thing, you better know how to do that new thing. If God is pouring out new wine, you better know what it tastes like. You better not be found being an old wineskin. When new wine comes, because you're going to burst. You can't handle it because you have not matured into it. Maturity, listen to me here. I'm going to tell you what maturity means. Because you can handle the acts of the enemy. Maturity means that evil has no access to you. Why? Because what you bless 
has no power to curse you. A mature believer knows how to bless those that curse them. We don't want them cursed. We want them blessed. We want them to recognize that Jesus loves them just as much and have a turnaround in their thought process. If they knew who they were, they would never be treating us like this. The reality is the problem's on their side, not ours. And so I'm mature enough to bless them while they curse me. And by doing that, what I do is I take away their power and authority to curse me. Because something that I've blessed cannot be a cursing back to me. If I bless you, you must be blessed. The word of God says that what I blessed is blessed and what I curse is cursed. So when I bless you, you're blessed. You cannot pass a cursing on to me because you have become my blessing. What you bless must be returned to you. So what you bless has no power to curse you. When you pray in his will, you activate kingdom principles of dominion. And what you pray over, you have power over. Dominion gives you authority. So what you pray in his will gives you authority over it. You have power over it. It has no power to curse you. So stop wishing that God would smite your enemy and start wishing that God would bless them till he knew them and they were no longer your enemy. It's a good word right here, guys. Paul understood this principle. That's why he talked about milk and meat so often. He says there must be a point where you stop being on milk. You're no longer an infant and you must go into meat. But Paul understood a deeper spiritual significance to the maturity process of good and evil. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, he said this to him. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in evil be babes, but in understanding be mature. Let me read that one more time. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in evil be babes, but in understanding be mature. What he was saying is there must be a point where the good is matured in us, but we really have no knowledge of evil. It's all secondhand knowledge. We don't experience it because we don't walk in it. We don't have the knowing, the yada that I talked about last week. We don't have a personal experience with, with walking in evil but we have a personal experience with walking in the goodness of who God is. That we can mature and discern the difference, but we take no part in the evil. When it comes to the wicked things of the world, we are babes. No, I don't know anything about that. Why? Because I've never watched. I, I saw someone do it, but I've never done it. That is not something we should be watching, then doing, and being judged for. Because you will be judged for it. And it's important that we walk upright before the Lord. That we are the people that walk in goodness but have a knowledge of good and evil. And we can discern rightly so that we can walk upright before God. When we know there's evil, we know there's good. And as much evil as there is in this world, it should be very easy to say, well, there must be a God. Because there's a war. And I've never seen a war on one, just one-sided. I've never seen one army. Right? If you see one army fighting itself, it's called confusion. It's not normal. It's the fog of war. It means they can't see there's not an enemy. So there must be an enemy. If there's an evil out to destroy people, there must be something good to bring people into a knowledge of him. There is a God. He's a good God. 
And he wants us to know the difference, but he wants us to mature in our faith. So what does it mean to mature? Let me close with this. What does it mean to mature? It means that we stop reacting to everything. We start being proactive, not reactive. Reacting is always being on defense, but the word of God calls us to be on offense. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Gates are defensive weapons. We're called to be on offense. So it means we're not standing on defense, but we are actively engaging in pushing forward the agenda of God's will on the earth. It means that we are growing. We're not just reading our words so we'll, we can check it off a box. We're not just praying so that we're good Christians. It's for the purpose and point that I want to grow. Let me show you maturity. Every smart person, every knowledgeable person, every educated person can confess this and understands it well. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. The more I think I understand about the Word of God, I read something else that challenges me. And I'm like, man, God, there's so much more to you. And so the first sign of maturity is understanding I'm not there yet. And I don't read my word so I can be a good Christian. I don't pray so I can be a good Christian. I read it so I can have an intimate understanding of who he is and mature in my walk so that I can be a light. The second part of maturity is I don't go at it alone. One, I come alongside my brothers and sisters and stand in agreement with me. I don't try to walk this thing out all by myself. I'm not an island unto myself. And not only that, but not, not only do I not walk it alone, but I don't lead it alone. I'm always taking somebody with me. But Pastor Ren, I don't know everything. Neither do I. All I can do is take one step and then tell you where the step I took is. If we were walking through a landmine together, I would take a step. And I'd say, now put your feet in my footprint. My footprint is safe. I don't know about the left and the right. I don't know where every landmine is. I don't know where every place to step is. But when I take a step, if I make it a little further, then you take a step where I stepped. So all I can do is give you one piece of advice at a time. And I will take you along. I'm not going to have you run ahead of me. Maturity is stay right behind me. And as I take a step, you take a step. Someone asked me that and they said, you know, I said, you just teach them what you know. How do you overcome anxiety, Pastor Ren? I don't know. I just know that when I feel a little anxious, sometimes I play some Christian music. That seems to help me. Try that. Is that how you beat anxiety forever? No, I don't know that yet. I'll, we can learn, but I don't know that today. I'm not saying I don't. I'm giving you an example. I don't know that. But I know that when I play some music and I, I put some calming music on, I, that makes me less anxious. So, so take a step. Just step into my footprint. Try that. And then if I learn something else, I'll teach that to you too. There's no reason that all of us can't begin to disciple somebody with the little bit or the great bit we know. Amen? We need to walk as mature believers. That every time we level up a little bit, we take someone along with us. Don't leave anybody behind. Don't allow anybody to be overcome by the darkness. And don't accept the lie that God is withholding anything from you. He didn't withhold the tree. He's not withholding his love. He's not withholding his mercy. He's not withholding you from the plan. He didn't make you and then and mistake you. He didn't label you and say you were just an error and I got no place for you. You belong in the puzzle. You belong in the picture. And if we're going to see the greatest harvest of souls ever, then we need you to take your place as a piece. 
That's what needs to happen. And the year 22, I know everyone's like, well, what are you going to say about this year? This is a year where God is about to roar. I believe his mouth is going to open wider than ever. He's going to begin to roar. We're going to begin to see that battle line begin to move. We're going to begin to see things happen and accelerate in the supernatural. We're going to begin to see harvests that we've never seen in our life. You think the sign and wonder of the smoke around this building is something special? We're going to see more. We're going to see more. We're going to see supernatural signs and wonders that the world doesn't even ready for. They're going to call us crazy. They're going to call us kooks. They're going to say we're fabricating it. They're going to check the duct system to see if we're moving it in. But God's going to do it anyways. And I'm going to be mature enough that when they come and criticize, I can tell them, why don't you come investigate for yourself? I'll take the criticism as long as you show up. Because when you get in the presence of God, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. So criticize me. Write news stories. Make fake posts. Call me a false prophet. Do whatever you want. But show up and argue it with me to face. Maturity is, I'm ready for the criticism. You know why God won't make you an influencer yet? Why he won't make your voice heard around the world? Because you can't handle the criticism yet. You don't know what it's like to every time you make a post, someone calls you a false prophet. Oof, man, Charisma Magazine gave me a podcast. Ooh, Pastor Ren, you get big. Oh, Charisma Magazine publishes your articles? Yeah. Did you hear? I got, I got articles in Charisma Magazine, you know? Big Christian Magazine. You didn't know that, Pastor Ren. Doing pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, they publish them, and they put it on their Facebook when they publish them. My article on there, yeah. You should go. Check it out. Pretty good. Give it a like because the comments are pretty brutal. You think that's bragging rights until you go on Charisma Magazine's Facebook page and read the comments under my article. Okay? I don't even know what a mermaid spirit is, but I got it, apparently. Like, I just flopping around like a fish. I got a cool, I'm using that kundalini spirit. Okay? I'm like, where y'all get these spirits from? I'm like flipping through my word. I'm like, kundalini, kundalini, kundalini. I don't know, but there's a mermaid spirit. Maybe that's why Peter and the boat wouldn't go further in the Sea of Galilee. Maybe there were some mermaids holding on to the boat. I I don't see it anywhere. I don't see it. Where did I get this? But I got one. You realize that demons are nothing more than disobedient angels, right? They walk in the power and authority that angels do. The problem is is that they don't walk in assignment. Okay, they don't walk with any equipping of heaven. They don't have the tools or the armor of heaven, but they have all of the giftings they were created with as angels. Okay, so if there's a mermaid spirit, there's a counterpart angel, and he's just up there going, I love you. Come swimming. Like, what is this? No. Pastor Ren. This morning I saw some angels and there were some guardian warrior angels ready to fight for the church. And over there in the corner there was a mermaid angel. What was it doing? It was saying it's time to stop being a fish out of water and flood the nations. No. Somebody's going to be mad at me. It's the real thing. I'm not saying it's not real or it's not. I'm just saying maybe it's real. I don't know. I've never invented. Let me tell you something about my life. I take Paul's perspective very seriously. Where he said, and evil be babes. 
We got so many people in the body of Christ that when they get into the supernatural side of things, they become demonologists, but they aren't angelologists. They don't know anything about warring angels fighting on their behalf, but they know about every bad spirit trying to beat them up. There's wickedness everywhere. Pastor Red, there's, this, there's so much evil, but they don't know how to activate the good. They are babes in the good and experts in the evil. Paul said to be the opposite. I don't know what spirit is coming against it. All I know is that my God is a big God. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I will trust in the Lord God Almighty. And every little critter has no power over me. It must go because I got bigger angels than them. Amen. I got all the angels. I don't know their name. It might be Carl. It might be Joseph. It might be Jacob. I don't know their name. Maybe there's a Gertrude. All I know is they got power and authority in this place because I understand the good side of things. And all I need to know, he didn't say be ignorant of all evil. He just said be a babe. Only know the milk part because you don't need any more than that to take authority over it. So if you know more about the evil side and not the good, maybe you're in balance. Amen. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.